My name is Chad Ballou. I get the privilege of um, pastoring, um, stumbling through this pastoring thing at a place we call the Arsenal in San Antonio. Um, no, we're not going to war. That's not the point of it. The Arsenal, uh, the definition of Arsenal in Webster's Dictionary, the third one is a group of people or things that are available to be used. And I, I just, that sounds like the church to me. So that's who we are. We're the Arsenal. We're in downtown San Antonio, actually in a place called Southtown. That's like the arts district. Um, Roosevelt and what's the First Avenue, I guess here would be kind of similar to our Southtown. There's there's like crazy paintings all over the walls in Southtown and art galleries. Some of them, I don't know how they call it art, um, but we love it. It's it's a crazy eclectic group. Um, I was telling Caleb earlier, we've got a few guys that are living on the street that sleep on our front porch that basically are my security for the church at night. Like they're they're awesome. We've got a doorbell on the on the church that like sends me a notification when it's our alarm system. And so like if any I'm like, hey, if anything ever happens, just ring the doorbell and run. And I then I, I'll know something's going on and they do. Um and I'm like, guys, one of the guys this I, this isn't in my notes. Um this guy Chris, who just started staying on our front porch, um, he he's awesome. He he like one day I came out and he was weed eating our grass and um Chris, Chris rang the doorbell at 3.30 one morning. And it sends me a notification, and I can talk to him through our doorbell. And I'm like, Chris, you all right? What's up, man? And he's like, hey, Pastor Chad, Wi-Fi's out. <laughs> Be- because two weeks before that, after church was over, he'd slipped me a prayer card that we, you know, we do these little prayer cards you can drop. He slipped me a prayer card, and I looked at it, and it said Wi-Fi password. I'm like... What's this? And he, hey, can I get the password? So I gave him the password, and he can watch movies on our front porch. But at 3.30 one morning, he was super bummed that the Wi-Fi was not working. Um, so this is, this is pastoring. This is what it looks like in, uh, in Southtown, and I'd love it. I would, not, I would rather be nowhere else. Well, maybe here. Um, I, I tell Caleb, I told him this weekend, I tell him all the time, like, if anything ever happens at the Arsenal, we're moving to Phoenix, my wife and I. He doesn't like he he probably couldn't hire me, but um, but we would come here. This would be our church. I love this place. I like Open Door has been incredible um, to us. I I got I actually met Caleb in a uh, communicators cohort that we did through Trueface um, with Bill Thrall. You guys know Bill. Um, he's, he's a he's a nice guy. Uh, but Bill has been incredible. Poured into me and our ministry. Um, John Lynch. I. The guy, if he could just preach, um, he'd be like the whole package. But uh, he pours into us. And then I got to meet Caleb, and he's my favorite um, pastor that you guys have probably ever had. Um, yeah, right? They're incredible. Caleb and Kaylee and their sweet little girls. Um, Macy is not my favorite. Like Pey- Peyton's awesome, too. But Macy, last night, we're sitting and talking. She's like, I- serious question. What are you wearing tomorrow when you preach? Like, I, Macy, I don't, and Caleb showed her pictures of what I normally wear when I'm preaching. And it, at the Arsenal, I'm usually in, like, T-shirt and some torn jeans and a baseball cap. And so she's like, you can't wear that. Um, so <laughs> so I, I said, I'm going all black because I hear that black is, is slimming. And I need all the slimming I can get these days. So um, I, it's at the Arsenal, we wear skinny jeans. You guys thought Caleb wore skinny jeans. These are skinny jeans. We're trying. We're trying to help him out. But 
I, let me show you a picture of what I left behind in, in San Antonio this weekend. This is my beautiful family. My wife, Madi, uh, really runs the church, um, my life. Uh, she keeps me on track. She also sings, and she's incredible. Um, they're my crazy kids. Uh, I got three boys, Jaden in the top, the, the pretty-looking one up there with the blonde hair. Um, Jaden, Jackson, Jet over here in the corner. We're praying for Jet. Um, and then Yara up front is our princess. She runs the house, really. Like, she is... I don't care what she wants, she gets it. Um, so I left them behind this weekend. Actually, during the first service, I, I told the first service that uh, I got a text from my wife that her car came screeching to a halt on the highway, and uh, they were on the side of the road. And so I was like, ah, sorry, can't do anything. Um, no, she's good now. I, we got it figured out. But uh, it's tough being away, but I slept really well last night. Um, so that was nice. Uh, Yara didn't wake me up at all, so it was good. But my poor kids, my, they're, they're, not, they're pastor's kids, right? Um, and if you know anything about pastor's kids, they're the worst. Um, not really. They're incredible. But they're, they're pastor's kids. But it's kind of sad for my kids. I'm, they're not just pastor's kids. But I have a particular set of skills, a um, set of skills I learned over an interesting career. Um, and, and if you're my child, they're probably a nightmare for you, um, especially my 14-year-old right now. So before I was in the ministry... I was in the U.S. Army. And not only that, but I rode camels in the Army. This was my job. Um, can, do you guys notice this? It's, a, it's an old picture. But do you see my smile? You see the camel's smile? Yeah, we, uh, we practiced that. Um, this isn't really what I did in the Army. But what's funny is I walked, we were at a shooting range in Kuwait before we went into Iraq. And I saw these guys walking around. And I was like, I'm going to go ride a camel. And everybody looked at me like I was crazy as I took off walking towards this guy that was just herding camels across the desert. And he didn't speak Arabic, and neither did I. <laughs> so um, I spoke a little bit. Like, I learned Persian Farsi. I spoke a little bit of Arabic, and I was trying to talk to him, and he was looking at me funny. I found out that he didn't speak Arabic. So we use hand motions. That's the best way to talk when you don't know language. So I was like... And, and he, he, he was like, he did some weird thing like, and like got the camel to sit down and I got on top of it. And then I pulled my gun out because that's what you do when you're on top of a camel. <laughs> then it went really bad. He stood the camel up. And I don't, know if you, I don't know if you've ever been on a camel, but they're tall. I was like, this is, and this was not a two hump camel, you know, because on a two hump, two hump camel, you know, you know, you've ridden a two-hump camel. There, there's a hump behind you, right? So you're safe. This is a one-hump camel. So when he stood up, I'm like leaning back. He finally set it back down. But, uh, but anyway, that, that's not in my notes either. Uh, I, I, was in, I was not only in the Army, and I didn't just ride camels in the Army. I was an Army interrogator. So um, my job was interrogating people. Um, and then I also ran sources. So I did, uh, they call it human intelligence collection. Sometimes that's an oxymoron. But I, I collected information from people. So I would run sources. Um, the easiest way to explain that uh, to, you know, you civilians um, would be, <laughs> just, that's rude, um, is this, like, uh, you, you've seen, like, movies, like, um, about CIA or, uh, you know, that where they, even, like, police where they have informants, right? That's what I did. When we'd go over to another country, I would find 
um, local nationals that would provide me information so that we could go catch the bad guys or find weapons or, or whatever it might be. Um, so I did that, and I interrogated people. Um, and so th- this was my job. So I went through all kinds of training to learn how to question people, learn how to read body language, tell if you're lying or not. Do you see where this could be a nightmare for a 14-year-old boy trying to lie to your dad? Um, Jaden, my 14-year-old, will lie to me and then look at me and go, I, Dad, I know you know I'm lying. And I didn't know how to say anything. I just look at him. Sometimes I let him get away with it if it's a little... But he, he knows that I know. And it's just... He still tries. He's 14. You know, they... I mean, if I could just convince him to take showers, we'd be all right. But, but over the past few years, the past year, probably a year and a half, I, I've really, you know, I, after learning how to question people, I, I've been hearing this question myself over and over that I really feel like the Spirit's been asking me. It's been this question, and it's the question of, are you listening? Are you listening? And I, and I, and I usually answer it with, yes, God, I'm listening. I'm trying to listen to you. I'm a pastor. I mean, that, that's what I do. I listen to you. And, and the Spirit just keeps saying, no, 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 are you listening? And eventually the, the, the question turns into, are you listening? I'm not talking about to me. And I, it, it sent me on this journey of starting to study listening and see what listening really meant, what it is about. And, um, and I, I realized that in my training as an interrogator, I was not just trained how to question people, but really I was trained in the art of listening. I was trained to listen because when I would ask a question, the whole point was to get you to talk so that I could get information. And I'd have to listen because the, like the, the number one rule of an interrogator is follow-up questions. Follow-up questions. So if I said something like, what happened? And they tell me, my, my follow-up was always, what else happened? Who else? Where else? Like, follow-up questions were key because you wanted to get as much information as you could. So the goal was to listen to the response and continue to ask questions until you've exhausted the response. So I was trained in this art of listening. I called this message today the art of listening, and I, we're, we're going to talk about that topic of listening today. There's a writer by the name of Dean Jackson. He's got a quote where he says this, Listening is an art that requires attention over talent, spirit over ego, and others over self. Attention over talent, spirit over ego, others over self. Can you imagine a place filled with people that this is their focus? Attention over talent, spirit over ego, others over self. I I believe that I have, even in my training and in my, my life, I have, and maybe the church almost as a whole has really lost the art of listening. Think about it. When's the last time you heard someone say, Man, the church is made up of a ton of great listeners. You know, like when, when you ask people, especially outside of church, or, or better yet, like our church at the Arsenal is made up of, I'd say, 70% of people that left the church. They're like, I, we are done with this. And if you ask them to describe the church that they left, or to describe what they would, how they would describe the church, do they ever say, man, it's just made up of such great listeners? But what? Why? is that? Why isn't it? And I, I want to make the observation today that as new creations in Christ, we are the world's greatest listeners. We are. That is who we are. And if we operate 
from this place of the Spirit, we're operating as a new creation in Christ. We, we, we've got to be the world's greatest listeners. There's nobody that should be better than us at it. There's a father, Father Kiran of Belfast who said it this way when he was describing his ministry. He said, listening has so changed my conception of my ministry where formerly I had concluded that when I speak or preach, my congregation will hear Jesus in my talk. Now I know that when I listen, my people hear Jesus speaking. You would think it would be the other way around. When I listen, my people hear Jesus speaking. Now, Father Kiran obviously was in a position of ministry, but we're all in place of ministry. We all operate in, in life where ministry is just who we are. We're ministering to people. We're loving people. What does it look like to be a place where we are listening to people, and as we listen, they hear Jesus speaking? We could go to a lot of places in the Word to look at this topic. Today, I'm just going to hone in on Colossians 3. We're going to go Colossians 3, verses 10 through 14. I'm going to read from a translation called the Passion Translation. I just love the way that um, they kind of unpack this topic. So verse 10 says this, For you have acquired new creation life, which which is continually being renewed into the likeness of the one who created you, giving you the full revelation of God. In this new creation life, your nationality makes no difference, or your ethnicity, education, or economic status, they matter nothing, for it is Christ that means everything as he lives in every one of us. Look at verse 12. The beginning of verse 12, I want to just hone in on this first part. It says, you are always and dearly loved by God. Can we just just like bask in that for a minute? You are always and dearly loved by God. I mean, you're, you're loved. No matter what, you are loved by God. And because we are loved by God, We're going to see as we play out or as we read through Colossians 3, because of this, you are always and dearly loved by God. You are these things. You now have this in your wardrobe. This is who you are. He says this, so robe yourself with the virtues of God. Since you have been divinely chosen to be holy, be merciful as you endeavor to understand others and be compassionate, showing kindness towards all. Be gentle and humble unoffendable in your patience with others. I tried to like just cross that one out in my Bible. That's no thanks. Paul, what are you talking about? Be unoffendable in your patience with others. 13, tolerate the weaknesses of those in the family of faith, forgiving one another in the same way you have been graciously forgiven by Jesus Christ. If you find fault with someone, release this same gift of forgiveness to them. And verse 14, for love is supreme. It must flow through each of these virtues. Love becomes the mark of true maturity. To share the good news of the gospel, I believe we've got to be willing to listen to the brokenness of the people we come in contact with. A lot of times in the church, we, we've got this idea that we're here to fix. And, and I even talking to Chris, who sleeps on my front porch of the church, as I begin to hear Chris's story, I, I hear where he comes from, how he ended up where he ended up. I hear about Chris's addiction to heroin and his active addiction that he is still taking part in, that we we talk through it and he's like, I don't want to do it. And then there's days where he says, Chad, I just want to go get, I just want to go get something. I just want to forget about it. 
And if you know anything about working with, with people with addictions, or really, let's just be honest, we're all addicted to something. When you're talking to people, with Chris, I could say, man, we need to fix your addiction. You don't need, like, heroin's not going to do it. We need to fix it. We need, you need to stop doing that. But as I begin to hear Chris's story, I realize where the addiction comes from. See, Chris was a straight-A student. Well, he got a B in chemistry, he tells me. He went to college, joined the Army, did well in life. But he, he started using, and it set him down this path where he ended up on the street. And when I asked Chris what happened, he can't really tell me. But as I listened to him, and we start talking about his family, I realized that he, his dad was never satisfied with him. That he was always trying to prove something to his father. He was trying to be accepted by his father. Like, Dad, come on. I, I got straight A's. I'm going to college. He said, I was the first one in my family to go to college. I, I joined the army. And his dad left his family. Why is Chris doing heroin? He's trying to forget about his reality. Because he doesn't know that he is accepted and he is loved. He's never found it. So is heroin his problem? No. It's just a symptom. It's something he's using to get rid of this feeling of rejection. How do I know all this from Chris? Because I sat across from him and I listened. So now what do I tell him? I don't tell him, man, you need to stop using. I say, man, do you know how much you're loved? I'm so glad you're here. Even when he says, man, Chad, I messed up yesterday. Man, I, I love you. I'm so glad. I'm glad you're alive, that you're here, that you're, that you're sleeping on our front porch and you're pulling security for me at night. He hasn't been fixed yet, but I guarantee you he knows where he's loved. All because we said, let's just listen to him. Let's sit down and listen. There's this crazy thing going on in our culture right now and in our country, this epidemic, I would call it, of loneliness. There's a healthcare company called Cigna that released a survey about two years ago where they took and measured 20,000 Americans on this scale, this UCLA loneliness scale. 20,000 Americans across generations, they had them take this test. On a scale from 20 to 80, a score of 43 or above is considered lonely. And the average loneliness score for all Americans across generations that Cigna found was 44, which means... On average, across generations, we were testing at a level of lonely. Anybody in here born after 1996? There we go. Yeah, we got a few, right? 1996, that's considered Gen Z, right? Or Generation Z. When you, when you look at all the generations on this study, Generation Z actually had the overall highest score of loneliness out of any generation. They tested at a score of 48.3 on, on this scale. The highest score. Isn't it interesting that the generation that is the most connected ever is the loneliest? I, I mean, I think we can all kind of come up with ideas on why that is. A lot of it has to do with our, our connection through these devices and social media, not real interaction and relationships. Or, or I've put on this idea that this is who I am on Instagram, and so because of that, I've got to be that person when you meet me. And I think part of it is just we, we've lost the art of listening and not understanding how to be in relationship with each other. 
The second highest score on the loneliness scale was the millennial generation. Also a generation, I, I consider myself a millennial. I'm just a mature millennial. Um, <laughs> depends on the scale and on the age. But I, we, I'd say we, we tested, and really across generations, we tested in a level of loneliness. In fact, in our, our generation, our, our elderly generation, they, they are sometimes found to be the loneliest. In, in the UK, uh, I think it was two years ago, um, they appointed a minister of loneliness for the country because they saw there was such an epidemic in their country, especially among their elderly, that they, they said, we've got to do something about this. You see, loneliness on a physical level is detrimental to health. It has these major effects. In fact, uh, just a couple different things that I read, it's proven to be worse for health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. But it's something that can be overcome and needn't be a factor in older people's lives. A former United States Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, wrote an article for the Harvard Business Review last year arguing that loneliness needed addressing in the workplace. That it can be associated, he wrote, with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, depression, and anxiety. We are literally, our culture, people in our culture are literally dying because they're experiencing loneliness. It makes sense though, right? Because we were created for relationship. That literally, that's why we were created. It's part of how, we, how we're wired. And so if we were created for a relationship and we feel like we're not experiencing it, of course our body is rejected. So how do we combat the feelings of loneliness or isolation for ourselves and for those around us? Writer David Augsburger wrote in his book, Caring Enough to Hear and Be Heard, that being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. How do we combat loneliness? We let people know that they're loved. How do we let people know that we loved? I would say one way we can do that is enter into a place where we're listening. Because to be heard is so close to being loved that they're almost indistinguishable. In a Harvard review on a study on loneliness, it say that people with religious community actually tested a little bit lower on the loneliness scale. That they felt a little more connected, which makes sense, right? Like if, we, if we're a part of a community, a religious community, then, then we have some connection. I would just, if, if I can make any plea to you today, it would just be this, that I believe, one, that true community only happens in a place where the art of listening is practiced. So what if we looked at the art of listening? It's an art form. So I believe it is something we can practice. It's something that we can see actually happening and we can learn how to, how to operate in it. My, my real ask would be to plug into community. Not just attending. And this isn't a, a guilt or a shame cry. This is, man, if you're lonely, there are people around here that want to love you. And that love I hope would just be to listen to you. So plug in, get connected. Paul tells us through Colossians, he tells us what it looks like to be a new creation in Christ and community and relationship. In that passage in Colossians 3, in verse 12, he says, be merciful as you endeavor to understand others. Can we just get one thing real quick? Understanding does not mean fixing. Those are two different things. 
to endeavor to understand others is to listen to their story. We enter into this place where we say that people are not projects, but they're people to be loved. Because when people walk in with a project, I've removed the humanity and I've said, okay, I can fix this, I can fix this, I can fix this. You're not the fixer. You're just somebody who's being used to show the love of God to somebody else. People are not projects. They're people to be loved. I'm going to show you a picture real quick. This is an interview I did. A buddy of mine, Chris Condi. Chris is a hip-hop artist in San Antonio. He writes for a a music, um, like kind of publication, a magazine um, there. Chris and I had seen each other at coffee shops um, throughout San Antonio because I'm a pastor, and that's what we do. We go to coffee shops. Um, And I don't want to offend you, but that doesn't mean Starbucks. Um, So... (laughs) So we go to coffee shops, right? And so Chris and I had seen each other at coffee shops. We both had beards, so it makes sense for us to be friends, right? Um, and we connected on social media, and I, I had seen on social media on his Facebook and on his Instagram, he put some pictures up. Um, this was a, a least offensive picture that I could put up of Chris. Um, you see, Chris, uh, at times when he does hip-hop, when he, he goes to shows, Chris would um, dress in, in women's underwear. I don't know if you can tell, but Chris is not a little dude. Um, and, and he would rap in, in this, in this uh, attire. <laughs> and, and I would see it on his social media. But then I would see him post something on Facebook or, or Instagram. And he would use some phrasing that I'm like, that's church people talk. You know what I mean? Like, we got church people talk. Like, there's things that we say. And I'm like, he, this guy's got some, there's some church stuff in there. Like, he, he knows what's up. And so I hit him up. We were doing a, a talk actually on listening in our church. And my last message on that was on listening to people that we don't understand. Or as Bob Goff says, listening to people that creep us out. And, and I, I messaged Chris on Instagram and I was like, hey man, I know we've never actually like officially met, but I'd love to sit down and talk to you. And here's what I'm looking at. I just want to sit. I just want to listen. I want to hear your story. I want to hear who you are. And he agreed. And so we met up, and we, we videoed this interview. <clears throat> it was supposed to be like a 15-minute talk. 57 minutes later, we ended our conversation. And I was like, what am I supposed to do with this video? Nobody wants to watch this for an hour. Um, but at the end of it, I looked at him, and I was like, did we just become best friends? Because uh, <laughs> it was so incredible to hear Chris's story. I got to hear about abuse and like where he came from, I get to hear about his struggle with sexuality and the church's reaction to his struggle with sexuality and his, his dive into um, alcoholism and drugs to try and suppress these feelings and, and get away from things. And I asked him at one point, I said, well, do you consider yourself a Christian? And Chris said, no, I don't ascribe to what I would call Christianity. So I gave my life to Christ when I was 15, but what my relationship, my faith journey looks like right now is every morning I wake up and I just, I pray to God. And he said, I, it's in, his, in, in the talk, he said, I pray to God, well, God, like this benevolent being, right, that like does things in my life and transforms my life. It's like, okay, God. Um, so, I, so I pray to God every morning and I just say, hey, God, use me today to show somebody that they're loved. And I get up and I walk out the door. And I was like, man, that sounds like the gospel to me. And we just talked, and I got to hear his story. And I would love to tell you, as a great pastor that I am, that Chris now attends our church, and he's leading worship, and things are going great. But Chris has never come to our church. Now, Chris and I have coffee. 
and we'll go meet up and talk. And there's people in our, in our city, other pastors that have been like, do you meet with this guy? Like, Absolutely. The dude's hilarious. Have you ever talked to him? We have a great time. I get to listen to who he is and hear the story of Chris. And I, I don't know. I can't tell you that he's fixed, but I don't know that that's my job. What I do know is that Chris knows that I love him and I'm there for him. And I just, I I think that's what Jesus would have me do with Chris right now. You see, there's a statement that Dietrich Bonhoeffer makes. He said this, God does not will that I should fashion the other person according to the image that seems good to me. That is in my own image. Instead, I think God's got other plans. His plans are so much greater than mine. There's a statement by Stephen Arcovi. Whoa, there's a step there. There's a statement by Stephen Arcovi, a quote where he says this. This quote wrecked me when I started to study listening. He said this, most people do not listen with the intent to understand. Most people listen with the intent to reply. Here's the good news for you as a new creation in Christ. You're not just most people. So Paul says that as a new creation in Christ, one of the things that we do is we endeavor to understand others so we can enter into this place where we're not here to reply, but we're here to understand. Where do you come from? What makes you tick? Who are you? Because I guarantee you, when you hear someone's story, you'll have that aha moment. Like, oh, that makes sense. What would it look like to just look around and realize that many of those around us are dealing with some type of loneliness or something in their past that has led them to a place where they don't know who they really are, or they, they, don't ex- they, don't, they don't believe that they're loved, or they don't believe that they're accepted, or they don't believe that they're good enough for anybody or anything, much less God. What would it look like for us to be a place where we could just say, hey, I'm here to listen to you. My way of loving you is not to tell you what to do, but to listen to who you are. As new creations in Christ, we should be the world's greatest listeners. We are the world's greatest listeners. That is who you are. That is who I am. That is something we operate in. When I am operating from the Spirit, and I'm allowing Christ to operate in and through me, I am the world's greatest listener. I don't always do that, but I can. The Spirit has that ability in and through me. In Philippians 2, 4, in a translation of the Bible called the Mirror, it says this, to discover your own completeness in Christ frees you to turn your attention away from yourself to others. Or I put it this way, the grace of the gospel peels back the scales from our eyes and brings others into focus. When I realize my completeness in Christ, others can become my focus. Paul says to show kindness and be compassionate to others. Compassion is from the Latin word compati, meaning co-suffering or to suffer with. You can't co-suffer with someone if you don't know their story or what they're going through. So what can we do? How do we combat this? Be who you are in Christ. Operate as a new creation that you are. I'm not asking you to do anything that you can't do or anything that you're not already. As a new creation, you are the world's greatest listener. So let's put more emphasis on affirmation than on answers as we practice the art of listening. Let's realize that this conversation isn't about us. It's about the person sitting across from us. Be gentle and humble, unoffendable in your patience with others. When you realize that understanding and compassion are the focus of the conversation, 
not fixing someone or their situation, I think you have no right to be offended in that moment. When compassion and understanding are my focus, not fixing the person or situation, I can't be offended. Because my goal is not for them to listen to what I tell them to do and to do it. My goal is to endeavor to understand you and just love you through it. So being unoffendable is just a byproduct of being assured of who you are in Christ. It's that moment that we realize that everyone is on their own faith journey. And we just get to enter into the journey with them. And we've got a big God who actually is pursuing people. And if God is pursuing them, we're just walking this journey out with them and trying to point them to who He is in their situation, in their moment. And a lot of times, as we listen, they hear Jesus speaking. I'm going to wrap it up. I think it's, it's about that time. What would the church look like if we believed that this is who we are as new creations in Christ and then we began to practice the art of listening? I think... This is a statement that we use at the church, at the arsenal, and I, I mean, it's a statement I got from Open Door and really from The Cure probably. I think I tweaked it, but it says this, to be a place where it's more important that nothing ever has to be hidden than anything ever gets fixed. And in the sharing of your struggles, you're loved more, not love less. If that is who we are as a church, can we be a place where from the agape love of Christ, we can listen to you? And you don't have to hide. You can share who you are. And we're going to walk this journey with you. Even in the mess. Because I believe that maturity in Christ always only looks like love. Always only looks like love. I grew up in the Pentecostal church, so this is my seventh closing. Um, Bob Goff in his book, Everybody Always, says it this way. God wants me to love the ones I don't understand, to get to know their names, to invite them to do things with me, to go and find the ones everyone has shunned and turned away, to see them as my neighbors, even if we are in totally different places. You'll be able to spot people who are becoming love because they want to build kingdoms, not castles. They fill their lives with people who don't look like them or act like them or even believe the same things as them. They treat them with love and respect and I love this part, are more eager to learn from them than presume they have something to teach. Can we enter into a place where our goal is to learn from you? The person that I sit across, I'm learning from you rather than trying to teach you something. And I realize the irony in that in this moment right now. The beauty of all of this is God is working through you to show His love and kindness to those that think they are forgotten. I'm passionate about this art form of listening. It is something that I believe God has taught me and He's shown me in Scripture this is who we are as new creations. And I, I hope and I pray that wherever I go, I get to spread this message that listening affirms value in people. And if you are operating from the Spirit, this is who you are now. You are the world's greatest listener. There is divine and redemptive and healing power in the art of listening. Will you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you. God, I thank you for who you are, for the love that you've shown us, for the love that you are. God, I thank you that it's not because we love you, that, or is, is that we don't love people just to love them, but we love people because of how you've loved us. This all begins with your love for us. I pray that we would be a place and a people 
that would practice the art of listening, that as we operate from your life and your spirit, that we could realize that we are endeavoring to understand others and that through our listening, you are able to speak. I pray that others would see their acceptance, their love, and that they are not forgotten, that you are pursuing to the ends of this earth, that we be used to love people, especially those that think they've been forgotten. So in your name we pray. Amen.